I almost lost my, my almost lost my fingertips uh, yesterday because I decided to run with uh, insufficient glove wear. <laughs> I thought I was literally thinking about a mile and a half from my home. I should have gotten that uh, computer programmer fingertip insurance. <laughs> that would be a bitch. <clears throat> I had a lot of problems writing when I had that finger injury two years ago, just with one bad finger. I think if you lose them all, you're... I think you're kind of hosed, yeah. You become an expert in uh, speech recognition systems in a hurry. Yeah, definitely. Although I think... Uh, that's interesting. I never really thought about it, but it's got to be the worst. The worst use case for voice recognition has got to be writing computer code. I, mean, I would think so. You know, uh, the person to ask about that is John Syracuse. Right. I'll bet he doesn't. Uh, he'll, he'll probably pipe in. He listens to the show. Yeah. He'd be the one to ask, though, because I know he uses it for his uh, his writing, you know, like those mega, those massive Mac OS X reviews. He dictates all of those, which is amazing to me because it, it, I couldn't do that. No, I don't think I could either. I mean, it's it falls into the same category for me as um, – not being able to type on a uh, not, 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 not being able to type seriously on an iPad because right. it's not the same ca- capacity that I have on a regular right. keyboard. Says says two guys who who both have <laughs> weekly podcasts. I'm I'm I <laughs> I write to me in my opinion. I write way more eloquently than I speak. I'm I I should not have a podcast. <laughs> It's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting angle. There is, and, and yet here, yeah, right here we are saying we basically can't express ourselves as fluidly or as elegantly with just not as speech. accurate. You know, I, I don't know. And part of it, you know, I've said this before too. It's like I'm, um, my typing speed is as fast as I can think. And you might, some people might say, "Wow, you must type really fast." No, I type pretty slow. I think by the <laughs> schemes. By the, the standards of somebody who's spent as many hours c- cumulatively over the, what, the last 25 years at a keyboard as I have, I should be a far better typist. But I'm not because there's I don't think there's ever any motivation to type faster than you can think unless you take some kind of secretarial job, which I've never had. You know, I've mm. never had like a job where you... Type transcripts or retype stuff. So I mean, what? How would anybody ever have a motivation to type faster than they can think? Right, unless you're just like I guess you could you could argue that stream of consciousness writing or something is yeah. faster than thinking. But I can I can talk far faster than I can think, which you know <laughs> that's why you stay in your home most of the time. Right, right? It gets me into trouble. I had an idea. Uh, I should just toss this out there. Who knows? Maybe something will come in. I, you know what's bothered me for years? Now, you've got a podcast. You've been doing the uh, – or you have two podcasts now, correct? Yeah, yeah. I have a, a podcast on hiatus and uh, the podcast with Manton Reese, Core Intuition, which we have been keeping up right. pretty regularly. But regular. the bit-splitting one you've you've put on hiatus. On hiatus, yeah. On hiatus. How many episodes did you get in? Ten episodes. So that was kind of a nice round number, and I wasn't sure it was going on hiatus until – like the moment episode 10 went out there and I was just like, oh, you know, it would feel really good not having, a, you know, the load of uh, another episode next yeah. week or whatever. So it's been feeling good. I've been missing it, but um, 
and I've been gratified by some, you know, faithful listeners who are missing it, but it's the kind of thing where it's 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 a it's a it's a format that is well suited to being able to take you long should, breaks. You should think about yeah, it's what uh, what my wife Amy and and Paul Kafasis did with their show, and and maybe will continue to do is that they thought of it as a season. Yeah, and I think that they were originally going to do ten, but they did thirteen because it was going well and. Uh, because you know, they, they had, had sponsors. Yeah, and they had <laughs> stuff lined up. So, yeah. you know, why not? And 13, you know, is a reasonable uh, season length. But then there's a break, you know? Yep. Because yeah, they took and it real te- seriously, too. I mean, they were like, did like proper editing and stuff like that. I mean, they would record for like two hours to get a half hour show. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of like beloved TV shows, it's not like they say even necessarily when the next season is going to come. They just. You know, eventually say, "Yep, we got another one." Yeah, remember the Sopranos was like that, right? Yeah. They kind of, yeah, they kind totally. of like, "Yep, you know, give it a year or two, maybe something will come out." Yeah, Mad Men is sort of gotten like that. I don't think quite as bad as the Sopranos got, but I mean, and I and I I, I just mean bad as a fan because you you know if yeah. you like the show, you wanted that season as quick as possible. I don't think it was any kind of laziness or sloth on the part of you know David no. Chase and the producers. I think it was that's how long it takes to write that quality of material for 13, you know, 13 hours of that quality and to line up all of the, you know, acting talent, and right. Creative talent to make it happen. You know, that it can't happen. You can't do it, you know, every year. And the side effect of that is it sort of exudes quality that, that, that subconsciously that idea that this thing isn't like all the other shows, right? It yeah. doesn't come out on some, nobody had to like, uh, you know, hire like, illegal immigrants to finish this show on time. <laughs> right. So let me just say this. Here, I've been thinking about this for years, many years, all the way back to, to the you know the first runs of the talk show with, with Dan. Um, what's the biggest problem with podcasts in general? I have one specific gripe, and it applies to almost every podcast I'm aware of, and it's the lack of transcripts. Mm-hmm. For a couple of reasons. One, for me, selfishly, wouldn't it be great to just have a searchable archive of of all the shows that I've done so that if I know in the back of my head, Jesus, I had, I remember when Jalkit was on the show a couple months ago and we were talking about, you know, whatever topic, what the hell did we say? Yeah. And what I, did we say? Whereas, I, it, you know, there's, there's no way to get that, you know, and if I open up a, a six-month-old episode of the talk show, even if I know that this is the episode... I can't, you know, how do I don't remember, you know, if it was at the 45 minute mark or the 20 minute mark or the hour and 20 minute mark when when whatever came up, uh, transcripts would solve that. And then the other big thing would be uh, it would be Google searchable by everybody else, not just me. And thirdly, it has to be. It's like by definition, it's a huge accessibility issue, right? Anybody who has a hearing impairment cannot enjoy the show. Or- That's true. Uh, but it seems like there aren't, you know, every time I think of it and I get a, uh, get the itch to look into it, I, there doesn't seem to be any kind of like turnkey, um, solution. Yeah. Well, it seems like the kind of thing that where you could say naively that you should be able to just point dragon dictate or something at it and now yeah, comes the transcript. The- that's but you know it's not the case, right? Yeah. And, and the it, other big problem with that wouldn't that wouldn't even if that worked ac- accurately enough to be good enough, it 
how would Dragon Dictate be able to tell our voices apart, you know, know which was me and which was you? Yeah, yeah, that's a challenge. And, uh, you know, some people have tackled this. Like, I think Rene Ritchie, uh, among his many other projects, has tackled transcripts. And I think he may just be doing it all himself. I'm not sure. But um, it seems like I've also heard some other people, though, uh, enlist, you know, super fans to do transcripts on behalf of a show i mean that gets weird to me when it's like a, a commercial enterprise like enlisting uh right <laughs> donated labor but um you know that's something i agree with you it would be and, and and there's a sense it's some in some ways it's positive but in many ways it's negative there's a sense that all this stuff that happens on podcasting is kind of ephemeral like radio um, even though it's permanently recorded just as just as well as blog posts or articles are. But you know, yeah. it would it wouldn't be that way as as much or even maybe at all if there were an accurate trans trans uh Yeah, it's not ephemeral, you know, it's it's like more ephemeral and maybe every single word is of less value, you know, that if if we like I just right there three seconds ago said, you know, which I know is a verbal tick I have. And obviously 98% of the times I say, you know, on this show should and could be edited out. And it would be if it were a written article instead of a, a off the cuff talk show. Yeah. But uh, there's always, you know, there's all, every show that's worth listening to. I mean, the whole point of what makes it worth listening to is there's got to be something worth remembering about it, right? Yeah, Absolutely. So I, I here's the thing though I was thinking about it and I know some people have done some things I know Andy Bayo had a project where the, he had a whole bunch of I forget what it was for but a couple years ago he had a whole bunch of audio that he wanted transcribed and he just threw it at Amazon's Mechanical Turk mm. but that wouldn't and it was really relatively cost effective it was relatively inexpensive to to get the people who do participate in that uh, you know to do it. But I don't think it would work for the show because I think you'd need somebody. It couldn't just be anybody, like any any person anywhere in the world who happens to speak English or you know speak English well enough to transcribe it. Like you to do it right, you'd a you'd need to know the guests on the show, like because I feel like if somebody in a foreign country, who I think is a lot of the people who do the Turk work. There's a very good possibility that every almost everybody I have on this show, we all sound alike to them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Some that, more than others, yeah. But. Right, and that would really screw up. Um, I don't hear it, but like when I did the show with Dan every week, at, we used to get comments every single week from people who said they cannot tell us apart. Yeah, and, you know, I always felt bad about it, but it's like you know, must have made the show confusing. But he tries so hard to impersonate you; it's really, it's kind of weird. Um. And I feel like it would also help to know, I mean, not that we talk super tech stuff, but I mean, you know, it would help if you, you know, we start talking about some of these things that, you know, the, that you'd know that, you know, some of the words we use are goofy. You know? Jargon, jargony, acronyms, and then yeah. like other little things, like little, uh, they've become like lovable, like podcasting ticks, like uh, Merlin Mann with like turns out or something right? yeah yeah and that kind of stuff would be like why the hell does this guy keep saying turns out so, that, that's the kind of thing that would look like a transcripting error <laughs> so but i'm wondering though if maybe it's just as simple as sort of a combination of your hey have a super fan do it and 
combine that with, well, th this show actually has good and real sponsors now and a reasonable uh, yeah. revenue stream, pay them, you know? Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think for a very reasonable hourly rate, you know, maybe somebody out there who listens to the show and uh, is a very fast typist and maybe would actually even enjoy doing it, maybe I could hire them and then they would do transcripts every week. But yeah, I, think my, I would I would insist upon paying for it though because I feel like it's got to be you know a quality product right? right that it just makes everybody take it more seriously. Now the, the a question to throw out there is uh, and I always have this thought when it comes to um, the idea of app localization, which again is also often like volunteer driven and ironically enough and it seems to often be completely accepted by commercial software developers. Uh, that it would be donated in that sense. I might be guilty of that too. Uh, but I've always thought with like something like that, I, uh, if I ever formalize like doing a really ambitious localization, I would want to have two people for each language um, as a sort of like self-correction. And I wonder if you would want that with transcriptions or if that sort of like takes away that, that pride and like, you know, the respect that that one person would have for being like the official archivist. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of a different problem because with 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 a uh, localization, you're you're running into those uh, from any language A converting to language B. There's a ten thousand different weird you know things that don't translate directly. You know, it, figures of speech in English that just don't have any direct equivalent in whatever language you're you're going to and then picking the nuance of you know like there's nothing like midway between casual and formal to translate it so do you pick the one that's a little bit more formal or the one that's a little bit more casual which fits right. with the brand and that's the sort of thing where if you don't speak that language it's so hard to judge right like if you commissioned a spanish localization of mars edit I don't know. I mean, it's like I speak a, a, just a tiny little thimbleful of Spanish. I couldn't judge whether the button to publish was using too formal or too casual a tone. You right. know, I wouldn't. I'd, but that so that's where I would see having two eyes look at it would really be helpful and might catch some of those things. Whereas for a, a podcast for idiomatic English speakers, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that would help. Because what would you have the second person do? You'd just be paying them yeah. to read the transcript while they listen to the show? Yeah, well, I was thinking along the same lines of like each of them does it independently and then compare for differences. But they, I think that's overthinking it. That's right. that's crazy. But I think it's a good idea. I think in, you, you have an audience where I imagine at least, you know, 10 to 20 people right now are probably at least considering the possibility that they are the person to do that. Yeah, so, I wonder if I wonder if just talking about this will turn up any any offers to do it. We shall see. I mean, it would be really crazy if just talking about something like motivated people to do something. Right. You know? so. I, the other problem I thought of, I mean, uh, this is easily solved, but it's like I don't know where I would put the transcripts. I guess I could ask my friends at Mule to maybe add something to the custom CMS over there, where there'd be like a transcript field or something like that, but. Or you know it, it were it seems like they'd be up to doing that, but without you know assuming that they would. In the worst case, you could always just have like a um, a site dedicated to it. Something that comes to mind is: Have you seen this? It's really great if you ever want to search anything about WWDC. It's called ASCII WWDC. No, what's it called? 
ASCII, like the old format. Right, Uh, right, right. ASCII, WWDC.com. And it's something, I think Matt with three T's, Thompson, I think he put it together. Um, And it's brilliant. I mean, give it a look if you can right now because you just get to search any word. And because this makes sense, this makes sense because WWDC sessions are transcribed for accessibility purposes, I think. Yes. Um, they took advantage of the presence of this transcription material on the videos themselves, I think. Huh. And uh, so you can search anything. Uh, it's only, I think, maybe 2013 sessions, but uh, it's pretty great. And you can uh, you can look up, you know, if you have this hunch that you heard something in a session, you just type in the word. Maybe sometimes you have to, because it's, I think it is sort of automated or, you know, transcribed by people who aren't perfect and... You have to, you know, adjust the use a stem of the word or something, but it's pretty great. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna link that up. That's really good. So you could imagine no, they've got WWDC. Act- they've got WWDC 2012 too. Oh, look at that! Scroll down. All right. Help out with transcription. Oh, oh okay. So, so it looks they're... like it looks like maybe for 2012 they're were transcribed, but maybe 2013. Yeah, Apple did a great job transcribing the sessions for this past WWDC, but there's tons of content in the previous year. So Apple did it for 2013, and I guess these guys were able to scrape it. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm just grateful that this thing hasn't been shut down yet and maybe won't be shut down ever. But this is probably the kind of thing where uh, everybody who likes it should instantly grab a you know right. curl dump of, of the whole thing. But this is the kind of thing, you know, you could imagine maybe not even limited to like how cool would it be if um if you could go to, you know, ASCIIpodcasts.com or right. something and then among the podcasts there is the talk show uh and you know, this is ringing a bell. I think there was some company that did this uh years ago. I remember in, in like the original podcasting boom. I remember something I had, I had, cause I had like a, a search feed, uh, on, you know, my own name and products on this service that was trying to transcribe, I think a bunch of the, um, you know, like Leo's, uh, twit shows and stuff like that. But there's some, there's some, uh, there's some like state of the art out there and I don't know what it is. Yeah. And another thing too, is that, uh, it occurs to me that I'm, you know, I've been doing it long enough that I'm, I'm a little blinded historically because it used to be i mean and this was for the first couple of years where i was regularly podcasting it was there just wasn't a lot of sponsorship interest it was really hard to get sponsors and and it didn't bring in much money uh and so i you know like when we were thinking about how could we get transcripts before what we were thinking we could possibly afford to pay was a very different percentage of the overall income. It was more or less like at the time, it was like, geez, that's going to take every, you know, we'd have to, you know, just take the sponsored money and then hand it right over to the transcription service and right. there'd be nothing left over. Whereas it's not the case anymore. Yeah. That's a lot of money to, to put into uh, just quote unquote, just having a transcript. You know, I was just gr- randomly cruising around here on the web and I found this site podcast search service.com. And I don't know, it kind of looks like it could be trying to do this. And I don't know if it's worth even mention, having mentioned them on the air or not. But uh, yeah, I don't know. it's the angle. It's the same kind of angle. The this idea. looks like, a, looks like a website from 1994. 
Which means it might just work. <laughs> the whole thing is set in time. <laughs> Time's new Roman. Uh, speaking of sponsors, why don't I take a break here and thank our first sponsor of the show. And it's our friends at Drobo. And you guys know, you know that the uh, file transporter people are back at Drobo. It's all one big happy family. Um, and they have sponsored the show a few times this year to talk about file transporter. But today I want to talk to you about Drobo, which is the service that they started with. Did you ever have a Drobo? I never did. Oh man, Drobos are really cool. Basic idea with the Drobo is it's like a hard drive. You plug it into your Mac. It's a thing for your Mac. You plug it in your Mac and your Mac sees it from your Mac's perspective, just sees it as a hard drive. But what it really is, is a device that has like five slots and you can take actual drives in and out of it. You almost treat the, the hard drives like floppy disks sort of. And it appears to your Mac as one big, single, simple drive. But what you can do then is like, let's just say you put five one terabyte drives in. So you've got five total gigs of storage. It won't give you all five gigs. What it'll do is replicate that data across those five drives. So if you put, you know, a terabyte or two of data in there, it's not all like the bit for one file is not just written on one bit on a platter on one disk. It's replicated so that depending on the color of the disk, when it's when it's uh, green, it's okay. When the drives are green, they're okay. And you can just, without turning the thing off, without unmounting it, you can just pull one of the drives out, which is crazy, right? Now, if you've been using computers and hard drives long, long enough, the idea that you could do that, it sounds like a recipe for disaster, right? Because your Mac still complains when you unplug a goddamn USB key without unmounting it first. <laughs> Um, but that's because Dro the whole Drobo idea is set up that the data is always replicated. So why does that matter? Because then what you could do if you start running low on space is you just pull one of the old smaller ones out and plug a bigger one in and it's just there. You don't have to reformat. You don't have to go into disk utility and manage partitions and resize and this and that. Just plug a bigger piece of hardware in, a bigger capacity drive in there, and it'll just work. Um, so they have two... Well, three models for Mac users right now. They've got the Drobo 5D. That's a five-drive system with Thunderbolt and USB 3 interfaces. That's the one that's really, really fast. That's the one you want if you're doing, like, photo and video work. They have the Drobo 5N. N is for network. It's a network storage system that connects via gigabit Ethernet, really fast Ethernet. Uh, and then they also have um, Drobo Mini. And that's designed for portability. It's small and lightweight. It's not as performance optimized. It's meant for somebody who needs to work in the field, like maybe like a photographer or somebody who's out in the field and wants to carry their storage partition with them. It's really easy to set up, really, really friendly to just regular people. You just plug it in. Uh, the lighting system will tell you how much space is left on each drive. They have a little little blue lights for each one, and each one is worth ten percent of the the storage. So when you start when you have a drive that starts getting filled up towards like eight nine blue lines, then you know it's time maybe to buy a bigger one. Uh, you can buy these things uh, with no drives in them. No no, just get the empty empty Drobo and put your own drives into the slots, uh, or they will sell you ones with. 
drives, and their drive prices are very, very competitive. It's not the sort of thing like when you buy RAM from Apple and you pay a real markup for the convenience of having your, your Mac shipped with maxed out RAM. When you buy your drives from the Drobo store, it uh, I think the prices are super competitive. So it's really, really easy if you just want to get a big storage from them. Just, just buy it with the storage. Uh, where do you go to find out more? Easy. Go to www.drobostore.com. Drobo, D-R-O-B-O, store.com. And they have a coupon code. Use this at the drobostore.com website. Talk10, T-A-L-K-1-0. And that'll save 10% off any purchase. And so some of these things, you get the 20 terabyte model, it's uh, 1500 bucks. Well, you'll save 150 bucks just by using that code. Serious money, 150 bucks you could save. Talk10. My thanks to Drobo. I've got one here. They sent me one. It's really nice. I love that idea that you know when they can be empty when they when when they ship you an empty one. I love the idea that it solves that like super geek problem of having like five miscellaneous hard drives lying around. You're yeah. like, I'll just plug them in here and see what it can what it can do with it. Yeah, it just creates one big pool of storage. It's a great thing. I mean, there's so many things you could use it for, but anything you need, if you you know, and again, it's just take a. a, a once every few months recommendation that if you don't regularly back up your Mac, please, please think about it. Get some, you know, buy three different ways to back up your Mac. You'd never, ever regret backing up too much. You could use uh, the Drobo as your time machine target. Do it if you're not doing it already. But it's a great way to, to and it, like you said, if you're a geek and you have a whole bunch of drives laying around your office already, it's a great way to put them to use. Uh, so what's next? How about the... Um, how about this whole thing with the rate rate my app? Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, so, uh, how do we review? There was a, a few days ago or last week. I was linking. I had a whole bunch of every once in a while. It's like I like to do. Uh, if I have a whole bunch of saved stuff and I can see a pattern that connects a few of them, I'll be like, well, you know, maybe today I'll do all four of these because they're, they're sort of related. And I had a whole bunch of. I think they were all Tumblr sites, and if they weren't on Tumblr, they were like Tumblrs, and they were just sites that uh, people were collecting, like uh, screenshots. And so one of them was like a iOS seven criticism, or it was a whole bunch of stuff in Apple's iOS seven um, with of questionable design in iOS seven. And then the other one of them was called F your review, E F F your review, and all it is is a Tumblr that collects screenshots of those dialogue boxes that that say uh enjoying this app take a moment to rate it on the app store and then there's like three usually three buttons rate this app remind me later or no thanks yeah and so i linked to it and i just wrote something to the effect of uh that it's been a pet peeve of mine for a long time and that i've long considered encouraging daring fireball readers to when they encounter these things to actually say yes if they're annoyed by it as i am every time you see it from now on, click the rate button don't say the no don't hit the no thanks button hit the rate button go to the app store and leave a review of like one star and explain politely that it's because the app keeps badgering you to review it uh and that is sort of a typical John Gruber move because I didn't tell people you picked up on it. You right, and this is why I wanted you on the show. You picked up on it, and and I didn't say this is what people should do. It was a very you know the way that I'm a total asshole. I just said I've long thought about doing this, 
But by putting the fact that I'd long thought about doing it on Daring Fireball, there's you know tens of thousands of people who saw it and then therefore had the idea. Well, and you're not naive. You know that you can't protect against people following right. through with it. And some people Just, start, have, in fact, started doing it. Yeah. Uh, so you wrote about it, and I linked it up today, but I thought it was the other day when you wrote about it. I thought you had a really, really thoughtful take on this. Because you're a developer, you are also, in my opinion, a very nice guy, right? Most, most of the time, yeah. You're sensitive. And it is, there's nuance here, right? But there, it is weird to me, though. There, it, it clearly touched a nerve, though, where there were a lot of people on both sides. There were a lot of people on the user side who, after I wrote that, like the people who immediately started doing it, who were like, hell yeah, this, this stinks and I'm sick of this. Yep. And on the developer side, boy, there were some people who got really angry at me because they're like, hey, it works. This, you know, you need good reviews in the app store to stand out. And this is the only way that you can get good reviews to stay competitive with everybody else who's doing it. And 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 then probably even more uh, aggressive against you were the people who were sort of protective of developers as a class, who were kind of like, who, who read into your statement as passive aggressive maybe as it was, uh, th- that you were trying to literally undermine the profitability the the uh, viability of small developer right industry and that started to get i think that's what got my goat to start writing about it because it just rang very um it it it, it felt to me like misplaced blame um it's hard not to jump to the conclusion that people are frustrated by the app store in general and by the reviews system and you know they're doing things i think what i think what it reflects is that customers know developers know and you know these people i'm alluding to who are sort of like jumping to the defense of developers in general all kind of know that this is a gross workaround like the rate me dialogues, I mean, that yeah. they are a gross workaround. And in the context of all that kind of collective disgust and maybe shame uh, on behalf of some developers, it's like to have, there's this kind of phenomenon when you get like called out for something that you kind of know is shameful, you're going to mm. be that much more likely to lash out about it. It's like if you, it's like, it's like if you, um, <laughs> it's like if you are crossing the street and somebody almost hits you and you get mad at them, they're going to be like super mad at you. They're going to find some way to be like, well, why the hell were you in the street? You know? And I think there's something to that that kind of got me going like, you know, folks like take, take, uh, take responsibility for your own move here. Like the, the fact of the matter is you, many people are stooping in my opinion to a level of behavior with the design of their apps that is, in the in the aim of making more money, and yes, possibly in the aim of of making the difference between viability and uh, and otherwise for a company, but the fact of the matter is, you know, there's lots of different things you can choose to do or not to do to to make that difference. Right. It's it's all in some sense a negotiation, you know, and and people forget that. The some I, I don't know why it is. I never forget it. I always think about it. But there's a lot of people who forget that the customer gets his say in the, 
in negotiation too. And I always thought that that's what um, music piracy was about. Like in the days when it was really rampant with um, Napster, is that the music labels were saying as the CD era got older and older, you're going to pay more and more for CDs. And a lot of top 40 CDs are going to have fewer and fewer good songs on them. You know, and, and it's not an exaggeration to say that a lot of money was made by the record companies selling $17, $18 compact discs that maybe only had two two or three good songs on them. Yeah. And Napster was a way for people to say, you know what, I think that's too much money. How about zero? And, you know, and, and the, 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 and I'm not saying it's right. I'm not justifying, you know, piracy of, of any content. Um, but it's a negotiation. It's a way of them, you know, the customer saying that this stinks paying all this money for CDs. This stinks that I owned all these albums on, uh, one format and now I have to pay for them on the same exact album on another format. Uh, and I think that, you know, when the success of the iTunes music store showed that it wasn't just about people saying that they felt entitled to never pay a nickel for anything. It was, you know, when you could only pay 99 cents, it was a way of saying, well, yeah, that's cool. That's a, no, that's a good deal. I could get in on that. And, you know, is the right price 99 cents? Was it $1.29 where they wanted to move it and they got to eventually? I don't know. But it certainly wasn't $18. Yeah. And the way I see it with this is, okay, you can ask us over and over and over again to rate your app. And, you know, you certainly can ask. But we collectively could, if we chose to rate the app and give it a bad rating because you're annoying us. We yeah. can do it, you know, and there's this weird entitlement that some of the backslash had where it's like, how dare you ruin this thing that is getting us four and five star reviews? Right. Because that's the thing that I got from a bunch of people. I got it on Twitter. I got it in email. It's, it more or less boils down to the two-word argument, it works. And what well, I'm saying with this campaign is maybe, you know, maybe it won't work forever. You know? Well, using this music analogy, uh, I also think that you know it it was fairly subtle the fact that you you sort of caged it as a as a hypothetical, but to any intelligent reader, that caging is a sort of implicit. You know, it's a hint that this is sort of a um, uh, it's a thought experiment, right. right? And so, taking your music example, you could imagine somebody, a blogger, in the uh, you know pre-iTunes days, saying, $18 for a CD? Well, sometimes I think, what would happen if I just asked each of my readers to make a copy of their favorite song and give it to somebody for free? Right. You know? And you, you, that's a, I think that's fairly comparable because, you know, there's lots of nuanced differences. In, in, in particular, like, a lot of people in this case feel that um, <clears throat> if people acted on your you know, uh, the, your hypothetical advice that it would unfairly disproportionately affect smaller indie developers. I think that was one of the, one of the sort of like things that rankled people. Um, but you know, that's, it was a hypothetical and, and, it, and it feels to me, I, I think a lot of people, it felt like they weren't, they weren't giving, first of all, Daring Fireball readers as a whole, like enough respect for, you know, sure you, I'm sure you have, not not to dismiss anybody in your audience, but I'm sure you have a few idiots reading the blog. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, come on, it's a you're not that's not who you're writing to, right? It's not like a situation where you are uh, getting up every day and writing for an audience of idiots who will do whatever you allude to without thinking it through, All right? And and to to sort of like hold you accountable for a standard of behavior that assumes you have thoughtless mindless drones who read and follow your every word, I think there's something wrong with that too. Right, or that I'm somehow targeting my political enemies or something. You know? Right. And, and, any... and, well, another thing was uh, somebody who was, who was debating this with me on twi- Twitter uh, you know, was talking about it being undermining businesses. And I, and I pointed out, it would, I, I do think it would be a much different situation if you were to list like five or ten companies and say – even theoretically. Sometimes I wonder, what if I asked the users of app A, app B, and app C to give them one star? Right. You know, that would be a more hostile act, I think. Our uh, our friend, there's a lot of nuance to explore here. Our yeah. friend, uh, Cable Sasser, you quoted his tweet, but he had a very good point now. Cable, longtime co-owner of Panic Software, that the one star aspect of it makes him very uncomfortable, right? That no argument that these these dialogue boxes are annoying and collectively it's becoming if anything a bigger problem as time goes on as more apps do it and seemingly ask you more and more times but that the the angle of my hypothetical proposal where you leave a one star review is perhaps problematic because what if you otherwise love the app but you would just like to gently re- gently poke the developer about this this issue the the rate my app issue yeah and so I, I've seen other people on Twitter who are like, well, what if you gave them, say, two stars fewer than you would have otherwise awarded? So if you would have given them a five-star, give them a three-star review and say, I'd give it five stars if it weren't, if it would cease uh, bugging me to rate the app, which is an interesting proposal. Like the one star in particular isn't magic and perhaps would only skew the ratings, you know, just... It, it, I think the whole five star rating thing is a bad idea anyway. I, I I almost feel like I feel like the whole app store would be better off if it was like a thumbs up, thumbs down thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most more than anything, what your post and the follow up has done is just draw a circle around the fact that this review system is not very good. Right. And uh, the combined with yeah, it's a bad review system in general, I think. Cause, and nobody agrees on what difference between forward, you know. What what's a three star? Is three star in the, because it's in the middle of the five stars? Does it mean okay, or is three stars good? Four is very good, and five is excellent, and yeah, two well, two is okay. You know, there's no guidelines as far right. as I know either from Apple. So who's to say that one star isn't the right um, the right rating when an app does something that's like philosophically offensive? to me like if, right. so he, he, i want to I, I don't, I don't want to if you had a track you were going there i don't want to derail it too much but one thing that came to mind is it's it's a it's an interesting problem to me because i think it's fundamentally wrong to modally interrupt a user from the course of their own self-driven action in an app yeah to Ask them to do something, and this is the key point, to ask them to do something that is of no benefit to them. Right. You are totally, it is a developer's problem, You are, and you are distributing your solution to this problem. And the, atten- the problem is, how do we get more users to download our app? Uh, 
that's your problem as a developer. That is not the user's problem at all. And if they've paid, you know, it's it's even worse in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and you're just taking that problem and distributing a solution across all however many users you have. You know, if you have 10,000 users, you're just giving each one of your users one ten thousandth of a share of your problem. Yeah, so depending on how strongly you take that offense, it could very well be grounds for a one-star review. Um, but more, you know, more to the point, like if, if people are saying, no, you should have just recommended three stars or you know, two stars off, all of this is just, you know, you could make cable or anybody else could thoughtfully make an argument that that's not fair either, you know, to, to deduct right. two full stars. But, um, you know, since Apple gives no guidelines uh, for how things should be rated. The other thing is I, I just took that, your suggestion in the hypothetical, one star is the right number to choose because it makes the hypothetical expression of, dis, of disdain right. more strongly. And it doesn't mean that every person who is even inspired to follow up on your uh, pseudo advice actually chooses to to give one star. Right, and I tend to think that most people, whether they're being thoughtful or being unthoughtful, tend towards the extremes. Like, and it just, you know, I haven't done any kind of statistical analysis, but just eyeballing reviews seems like the most common reviews are five star if you really like the app and one star. If you don't, or you feel ripped off, or you've, you know, famously, you know, uh, and it's not a good practice, but, you know, users who are hit by bugs will often file the bug report by leaving a one star review in the App Store. Um, yeah. You know, but that it just seems to be that it, it, in some ways, a lot of people tend to use it as a thumbs up, thumbs down, and thumbs up is five, and thumbs down is one. And it, you know, it, it works out. You know, maybe the average ends up in the middle. Yeah, or four is uh, it's perfect in every way, but there's one right. tiny little problem. So, how much in general, John, do you feel like you should be held accountable for the power that you might wield with your audience to make them to inspire them to do things? And is that something you think about more these days? Oh, I definitely yeah. do. I worry about it. And this is a perfect example. Because like, it's no joke that I've been thinking about this for years. And the reason I haven't done it before is that it's out of fear that it would be too successful. You know, that too many people would leave one-star reviews. And that it would, you know, I, 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 anybody who thinks I took it lightly that this could actually affect the average rating of certain apps and that a decrease in the average rating would actually lead to a decrease in sales. I am completely aware of that. Right. And that's, I do worry about that sometimes. Yeah. And it's very, very hard for me. I've said this before, you know, my, my interface to daring fireball is literally almost exactly the same as it was six or seven years ago. I mean, I'm, you know, it's, I still have the same old 20 inch cinema display in front of me. I'm sitting at the same desk I'm sitting in the same office. Uh, I'm using, well, actually, it's not the same keyboard, but the same model keyboard. Uh, yet, it's so much of a bigger audience, right? And it's very different than, like, if you're, like, a live performer, right? Like, I've effectively gone from back in 2002, 2003, being the equivalent of playing in, like, a local pub to playing on a daily basis, you know, before thousands of people, but it mm -hmm. doesn't look different, right? Yeah. But if you're a stage performer and now all of a sudden you're no longer performing comedy in front of 20 people 
at 11 o'clock at night, but instead you're performing in front of 4,000 people at, uh, you know, the Mirage in Vegas every night, it feels different instantly. I mean, it's a huge, you know, big room. Whereas when you're a writer like I am here, it doesn't feel that different. So I definitely mm -hmm. think about it. And I definitely hope that most people out there are being thoughtful about it. But on the other hand, I actually feel pretty, I, I do feel, I know it sounds, and this is the other thing too. People are like, well, it's just a stupid dialogue box. Hit a button and it goes away and, you know, for a while. Um, but I do feel like collectively it's such a bad practice. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and like I was saying, it's a philosophical turnoff. And so if you get turned off, it's the kind of thing where, um, like, for example, on the positive side of things, if like an app you use expresses, you know, some feature in a way that has like a little bit of humor or like a touch of humanity that really relates to you, then you get like a sense of like, I'm kind of like simpatico with this, with this app, right? Like this is kind of like, it's almost, it's an emotional reaction. Right. And this kind of thing is emotional as well and if you're gonna if you're gonna have emotional bad things well I, I hate to break it to folks but that's gonna lead some people to the the one star zone and it's it, the fact that the, this tumblr blog exist existed that was called f your review like that doesn't come out of thin air that kind right. of that kind of uh it wasn't like you know, problematicreviews.tumblr.com. You know, it, it was it was meant to be a heated rejection of yeah. the whole idea. I do think that my having written it, it did uncover exactly, and, and I'm not surprised, but it was kind of a relief because I felt like I'm not alone. Where it feels it felt like a lot of the response I got from users was, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but you're right, this is annoying as hell, and I see a couple of those every goddamn day now. You know, yeah. it's funny. I'll tell you what. I was in New York the last two days. I was up for the – I went to the Instagram event uh, in New York. And uh, it was a really nice event. And Kevin Systrom, the founder – and I don't know what his title is now that they're in Facebook. But, what you know, he's the boss of Instagram. Did a really great job. I thought it was a great presentation. Um, but while he was doing a demo of the new face – or not Facebook, uh, Instagram messages, while he was doing his demo – Instagram gave him the like Instagram, rate it oh. later, not now. And so, and it was clearly not part of the, you know, what he was ready for. And I think I'll get to the technical reason. I think I know why he got that alert on stage in front of the audience of the press. He, and so he, you know, he handled it great. He was like, no, I don't want to rate Instagram right now. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Let me come back to that in, in a moment. Let me just do a second sponsor read. And this one's great, very timely. As we record, today is the 13th of December. Uh, show will probably be out in a day or two. Height holiday season, right? Everybody's out there buying gifts. I want to tell you about a new sponsor. Their name is Gemvara. The website is like, like gemstones. J, or not J, G, Jesus. G-E-M-V-A-R-A, gemvara.com. Uh Tired of being the average gift guide, just giving your, your, your wife or girlfriend a sweater, something stupid like that? You know what? They've got a Gemvara. They've got jewelry. Custom made at gemvara.com. Uh, they are a revolutionary leader of custom made fine jewelry that you can just buy online. You can get rings, necklaces, pendants, bracelets, earrings, um, all customized just the way you want for your special person. Uh, they have 29 different gemstones, nine different metals, endless combinations. Each piece is one of a kind, made to order, and delivered in less than two weeks. 
So order now. You could get it in time for the holidays. They have a 101-day return policy, free engraving, uh, free ring resizing. If you get a ring and it doesn't fit, that's always a trick. You know, who the hell knows what size people's rings they wear? Well, they have free re ring resizing. Uh, and 24 7 uh, jewelry consultants online to answer any questions you may have. Where do you go to find out more? Go to their website, gemvara.com. G E M V A R A.com. Um, no special code or anything like that. So just go to their website and, uh, and find some gifts. It says handcrafted in the USA, Boston, and New York. How about I that? Did. How about that? There you go. Quality, quality stuff. Good new sponsor. I like getting a sponsor like that. It's a little bit off the. No, no offense to Drobo. I love Drobo, but Drobo is perfect example of like a typical talk show sponsor, right? A little nerdy, plugging hard drives yeah. in. Now we've got you know something a little different. Well, this like rec it. recognizes that you know all of us techies, we have other aspects to our lives that you know we need to buy other things. So why not get the message out? Right. Uh, so one of the things, and, and I didn't know this. Now get back to these rate me dialogues. Um, I I I knew I'd been annoyed by them, and I knew that there was a lot of similarity between a lot of the ones I'd seen. But only after I wrote this, and it sort of became. Uh, a topic of conversation on Twitter and an email with, with readers uh, that I start looking into it a little bit. And I found, I guess I'll put it in the show notes, but there's like an open source project at GitHub called iRate, which is funny, <laughs> how, how right? appropriate, yes. Right? It's I capital R-A-T-E, but it's funny because it's gotten a lot of people. Well, yeah. I'm not even gonna, not even gonna say it. But anyway, um, and friend, a longtime friend of the show, he's never been on, but he's uh, Dan Weinman, uh, who's who's a professional programmer, uh, was taking a look at it. And it, it's, A, even if you're not a programmer, if you go to their website and just read the readme and just look at the configuration options for this, and it's ostensibly simple. It's, you know, or add this open source thing to your, your iPad or iPhone app, and... <coughs> It will automatically, you know, ask the user to rate and, you know, not rate if they choose the app. But it has so many configuration options. It's crazy. It's so super complicated. And it has really, in my opinion, really bad defaults. Um, and it's the dialogue, like, I think it is the default dialogue, uh, is the one that you're, all of you, anybody, I bet every single person listening to the show has seen it, not just seen it, but has seen it within the last three or four days, is this dialogue that says, do you like this app? Uh, and there's three buttons and an alert. Rate it, uh, ask me later, and at the bottom, no thanks. And... The one thing that I've noticed, I've known this, everybody's known it, the no thanks button doesn't seem to do what you would want it to do, which is, I, I think this is very obvious, I'm not going to rate rap right now and I don't want to ever be asked again, right? Yep. And now all it says is no thanks. It doesn't say, you know, we'll never ask you again. But I'm not sure what else no thanks could mean or a reasonable person could assume it means if there's also a button above it that says, remind me later, which I'm guessing nobody has ever tapped in their life. Uh, <laughs> but if one of the options is remind me later and another one is no thanks and you tap no thanks, 
and then a week or two later, the same app asks you again. That, to me, feels broken. And it's apparently by design, like looking at it, like Dan Weinman looking at the code, it what no thanks really means in this this open source project is no thanks for this version of the app. But like if you if it's version two point seven point three, when you release two point seven point four to fix a bug, um, this irate project will then you know take a cue to ask again, and that's why you know so many of us for so many apps have seen the same goddamn dialogue so many times, and I think it's why. During the demo yesterday at the Instagram event that Kevin Systrom got prompted by it from the Instagram app, because I'll bet what happened is that he upgraded um, the version on his phone to either a newer beta or to maybe the App Store release version. Yeah. Which had just come, which was coming out yesterday. I think it came out like during the event. So my guess is he upgraded to the new version of Instagram and hadn't launched it yet. Or maybe it like Maybe I don't. I'm not even quite sure about this, but maybe it doesn't ask you the first time you launch after an upgrade. It, it maybe it asks like the third time after right. you upgrade, it will ask again. And he'd install. You know, it was such a good presentation, very well rehearsed. He probably installed it, ran through the demo two or three times, saw that it was all working exactly right, and then on stage hit the whatever you know the nth time when irate is going to make you angry. Hey kids, uh, John Gruber here. I've always wanted to do this. I've got breaking news. Uh, ends up in the uh, couple of hours in between when Daniel Jalkett and I recorded this episode. Uh, and right now, Friday, uh, December 13th in the evening, uh, the developer of this irate uh, open source package, Nick Lockwood has, um, now this is not coincidence. This is in response to, to conversations on Twitter among various people in the developer community before we recorded. But anyway, uh, Nick Lockwood has made changes and the new version of irate, which he, uh, published today on GitHub, uh, has a few changes. Uh, it no longer asks users to rate the app each version. It asks once, uh, and if the user selects no thanks, they will never be asked again. And uh, he even went so far as to remove the option to prompt again each version. Uh, I think all of these are changes for the better. Uh, so great move and really, really cool response from developer Nick Lockwood. And I really hope developers who are using this package uh, update to the latest version. Now back to the show. So uh, I'm I'm looking as well at this configuration documentation. There are a ton of different things, as you said, uh, including all these like fine-tuned uh, attributes that taken together determine when it will prompt you. Um, but one of them is literally prompt again for each new version. And it says in the documentation, because iTunes ratings are version specific, you ideally want users to rate each new version of your app. So that's the mindset behind right. the uh, so so John when you said you think it has poor defaults I think the defaults if it's set to prompt again for each new version which it sounds like it is um they are very well chosen for the goals of the project and this gets back to my whole point about um 
who is this in the service of, right? The whole point of this project being here for the, for at the disposal of, you know, hundreds of hundreds or thousands of developers is to benefit developers by maximizing some perceived benefit of, uh, of capitalizing on users. And not just of getting reviews, but of getting new reviews over and over and over again. Because in fact, from everything I've been able to gather from this this project, which I think is super popular, and other ones, there is no way to stop being asked. Not only does the no thanks button not stop you from being asked again when a new version comes out, even if you rate the app, if you do the thing that they really want you to do, which is tap that first button and leave the app, even though you clearly went to the app for some other purpose, which was to actually use the app, but you're willing to say, you know what, forget everything. I will do you a favor. I will take time out of my life right now. I will drop what I was doing. I will hit this button. I will go and peck out using my thumbs in the app store a review of your app right now, and I'll give it five stars and submit it and put my name on it on the iTunes store as a review of your app. You do all of that for the developer, and then the next time a new version of the app comes out, you're going to see that dialog box yeah. again. Even hitting rate the app doesn't set any kind of flag that says, okay, this guy is, you know, you don't have to show this user the dialog anymore. There is no way to stop getting prompted. There is no way as a user on a default configured deployment of iRate, and uh, that's what it looks like. And looking at this documentation a little more, it actually covers this case specifically in the same area. It says, um, if you set that prompt again for each new version value to no, then it clearly says they will not be prompted again each time they install an update if they've already rated the app. <laughs> then it goes on to say it will still prompt them for each new version if they have not rated the app. And that that presum presumably means if they've said no right. thanks. But then it says you can override this using a delegate method. I rate should prompt for rating. So so it has to be completely customized. Um, right. and it, some some sense of of decency needs to be instilled into this framework. Right. And again, I I think that it's arguably well-intentioned but blind to the cost of user attention. It, it, I, I don't think that you know whoever wrote this and set up this configuration <laughs> system was in any way uh, evil, you know, I just think it, right. it, you know, and it, and I do think it was well-meaning in that it's aiming to solve a problem developers face, but I think it's completely blind and ham-fisted to the effect it has on users. Yep. You know, and I, I'll draw another similarity. And again, people keep saying that the defenders of this practice keep saying, but it works. And there's all sorts of stuff that works. That's right. That is not right. You know, telemarketing works. That's right. Right, telemarketing works, but it's annoying as hell, and I would never want any product or service that I'm involved with to be involved with it. Uh, like, even if it was cost effective, I would never have, you know, a, 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 you know, pay a hundred dollars to have some uh, telemarketer try to get more readers of Daring Fireball or you know people to buy Vesper or something like that. It's you know, it's beneath the brand, in my opinion. That's what I we're on the same even page though it works. Yeah. It, it, um, it, I was just going to say, I think that this reflects like um, there's kind of a herd mentality with uh, developers and I fall victim to it sometimes. But, you know, the, the problem is we're all sort of scrambling for how are we going to make a living at this? How are we going to like 
eke out enough of a of a profit that we can you know maybe quit our day job or right. you support our family. All these are valuable things to aspire to do. But you're right there. This is one variable in like not just dozens but hundreds or thousands of variables that added together you know lead to whether you make a living or not. And you know there's lots of things like you know what else makes money pornography. And, you know, Apple... It's a good point. Apple draws the line right there. You know, if if each of these apps popped up a bare boob every once in a while, then maybe maybe they'd make a little more money. But Apple draws the line on that for us. You know, like if if Apple said tomorrow, hey, guess what, folks? New policy. You're not allowed to proactively encourage users to rate your app from the app right that would be it it would be over and that would be a new rule of the game right. for developers to play with and they'd and, have the time to fix it to submit you know don't don't no apps would be taken out of the store but as new apps new versions get submitted they would need to comply yeah and i think i what i feel like when stuff like this comes up and people you know i, I have to be careful because i'm a developer too i face my own problems but it so happens that I'm not, I'm not in deep with iOS as a you know revenue stream. So I have to be careful not to be too dismissive of folks having problems with this. Right. But it feels to me, it reminds me of situations I've encountered myself where I was looking for uh, easy outs or easy blames for, um, you know, for what's for what's going wrong with with my business or with my app. Um, kind of reminds me of this. Uh, this old quip I think Gus Mueller made on his blog years ago where there's, I, I wish I could remember the context, but it was like somebody had one of these kind of like whiny rants about so-and-so. You can never, I think it was somebody who was like quitting the software business and blaming it on uh, piracy or, you know, people not, lack of uh, marketing or something or other. And Gus just says, maybe your app just sucks. You know, like that's always something we have to think to worry about. about yeah and 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 sometimes i think when people are down to the point where they're considering whether or not i can force users or strongly compel them to do my bidding and that makes the difference between whether i make a living or not that's a sad place to be and there is there is to be sympathetic to developers there's also a prisoner's dilemma angle to this Right. I mean, what's the classic formulation of the prisoner's dilemma? It's like you and a friend are both put in jail, separate cells, and the jailer comes to you and they want you to both confess to a crime. And you can, your like three options are to maintain your innocence. And if you both maintain your innocence, then you'll both get out without doing a day of jail time because the, they don't have a confession. You can say it was all the other guy's fault and he'll do all the jail time. He'll do, you know, 10 years of jail time and uh, you get to walk away or it's no, no, or what, what did, I guess it would be like, you would do like a year of jail and he'd do 10 years of jail. Isn't that it? I, uh, I don't remember the details. Well, but anyway, <laughs> it's, it's in your interest in theory to, to stick together and do the right thing and maintain your innocence and you both walk out, but that there's a, a, a big motivation to rat the other guy out. Because then you won't be getting the worst of it, and you can't trust him not to do the worst and stick it right, to you. Right. Or it's it's like if you both if you both rat each other out, then you do you do some time, right? 
But if you rat him out and he says he he says you're both innocent, then he does all the time. And so it's in your interest to do it and just hope that he did the right thing and let you go, right? Yeah. And there is a prisoner's dilemma angle to this where it's like if the other developers are doing it and you're not, they're getting more reviews. And if it does seem to work and the reviews that are left are mostly positive, then your app is getting a disproportionate share of positive reviews because you're not asking, your competitors are, and therefore their app is better reviewed than yours only, not because it is better, but only because they're asking. And therefore it's in your interest to go along with it. Um, and that's sort of why I feel like Apple would be the one who could solve it best by saying you're not allowed to do this because it also leads to a slippery slope. And, and as I've researched this, there's a lot of apps that are doing other things. They're not just saying, Hey, if you like it, leave an app or leave a review. There's other apps that are like going, taking measures to try to only get positive reviews. Yeah. Instead of saying rate the app, they're doing things like saying, do you like the app? How do you like this? And if you say, yes, I like it, then they ask you to leave a review. And if you say, no, I don't, then they don't ask you to leave a review. They, they'll point you somewhere else, like point you to a help page or something like that. Right, which somehow feels disingenuous and slimy when it's automated like that. But for example, it doesn't feel so bad if I, as a software business owner, like selectively choose to mention, hey, maybe you could leave me a review in like an email correspondence. Right, and that's totally okay. You know, right. we, do, we do that with Vesper. Like we'll, you know, at the bottom of like, when we answer support emails, we'll just put in a little, little, little quick boiler point. Like, hey, if you like the app, it would be really, it would be great for us if you took the time to leave a review. Yeah. Something like that. Well, it's it, short it, and sweet. It, a big part of that is you're, you're squeezing that in as like a, a, a side note in a communication that is, getting back to the point, otherwise for the customer's benefit. Exactly. Answering a question, you know, uh, uh, providing them with a workaround or acknowledging, yes, that's a known bug, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's an Apple bug and we have to wait for, so we're, we're as annoyed by it by you, but we have to wait for Apple to fix it. We've filed bugs with them and, you know, right. hopefully we'll have an update soon or something else, you know, like, hey, you're, that's a cool feature request. We'll think about it, you know, or you know, that's a cool feature request. We have thought about it. Here's why we didn't do it. You know, something like that. Some sort of positive interaction. And then yeah. at the end of it. Another thing I've seen, and I think it's great, I think it's totally cool, are some people, it's nowhere near as prevalent a practice as these alerts. These alerts have become like a disease. But like so I've seen there's I've seen screenshots of some apps where like on the settings page, on a settings panel, there will be like a link like um Two, two buttons, like one, tap here to get support if you have an a issue, and then underneath that, if you like the app, tap here to rate it in the app store. These ratings really help us with our you know rankings in the store. I think that's ideal because, it's right. again, it's sneaking it in in a, in a place that does not slow down the user. It's, right. It's not, you know, just, I don't know. That's to me, it's, it's just as crazy to me that there are some people who don't see how an alert is... Yeah is going right to code red you know like you should never show an alert unless you have to like i think ideally the ideal workflow through any app involves no alerts you know and it's only when you really have to when there's no other solution we've got to make sure because all right they're trying to delete this thing and if they do it there's no way to undo it we've got to show an alert 
to double check that they really wanted to because it would be catastrophic if they deleted it by accident. Right. So I th- I think like uh, a, a, a more forgivable example is like Sparkle in Mac apps where it does show an alert, but it is clearly, usually clearly for the customer's benefit right. you know, to get an updated version. And importantly, in almost every app on the Mac that uses Sparkle, there is a, a preference in the app to completely disable the uh, the alerts. So it's a totally different mindset. Well, and again, it's an important thing. Where again, it's in the user's interest usually to be running the latest version of the app, but it's not in the user's interest in general to update automatically. You know, without their yeah okaying it. Right, so you're, so you're protecting the, them and and, and right. benefiting them. Yeah, the right thing to do is to do what Sparkle does: is to say, okay, there's an app store, there is an update of version, you know, whatever number you're running this number. Here's, you know, you can do this later or you could do this now. So I think that there is a possible, like a, another possible, like acceptable communication stream between developers and users which is some kind of like passive news stream where um it's kind of like the about box idea it's still begging the user's attention um mm-hmm. i've seen this in some games like they'll they'll have like general news but then occasionally they'll also have as among those news items you know hey you've been using this for a while if you like it rate it yeah um and that kind of stuff usually entails like some kind of little subtle signal like a, a little, you know, like maybe a little red light or something on the main screen that lets you know there's messages. Right. Um, something like that. Let's just say if something like that had become the de facto standard for how people try to cajole people into reviewing, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. It's not, right. that's not problematic enough or maybe not problematic at all. Um, but there... I've- I think even with the alerts, which I think is generally heavy-handed for this, but as long as if if this irate project that everybody or it seems to be so popular, if no thanks meant never show this again, yes, ever, yeah, just one time, one time only, and you can opt out and it'll never show you again. I don't think we'd be having this conversation. I really don't, because then you'd only see that dialogue once for every app, and even if you have a lot of apps installed. That's not that bad. It's right. in hindsight, and I didn't really. This didn't really occur to me until after I published that. But the more I thought about it and really considered my position, it's not being asked the first time that annoys me. It's being asked the second through the nth times. The one time, it's like, I don't like it. I wouldn't do it, but I could live with it. And it's the same thing as things like, hey, maybe you want to... I don't think you should do all of these things. I think you have a limited amount of attention you can take Mm -hmm. from the user. But if you wanted to... Maybe you want to do something like you said, like prompt them once to sign up for a, an occasional newsletter. Yeah. Uh, or to follow your company's or product's account on Twitter. Follow Vesper app on Twitter and you'll receive, you know, occasional, um, you know, tips, tricks, news, stuff like that. Right. And it would be completely appropriate to right. to say on your Vesper Twitter account, you know, folks, if you haven't done it yet, now would be a great time to review Exactly, and and part of that too is that with an email newsletter, you know, you in and I know the panic apps have always done this, and I think they've had a great success with it. And I, they, it's a really cool, you know, the newsletters are you know everything you'd think a panic newsletter would be. It's funny and very well designed. It's like one time, 
when you install like a new panic app for the first time, they show you a dialog box and it'll just, it says something, you know, very friendly. And it's like, Hey, we run a company newsletter where we give occasional, uh, news and updates and tips. Uh, it's not annoying. We promise. And you can unsubscribe anytime, but it'd be, it'd be great if you signed up and you could put your email address in and hit a button. And if you don't want it, you hit another button and they never ask you again. Yeah, uh, same thing for like Twitter. And then again, if you want to in your newsletter or in your Twitter account occasionally remind people to do to, to maybe leave a review in the App Store, that's cool because if if they want to, they'll do it. If they don't, they won't. And if they're annoyed, they know how to make it stop. You know how to hit the unfollow button in Twitter. Yeah. Whereas there is no way to make these dialogues stop. I think you I think you're right that the um the one-time thing is it, I might consider it like slightly uh a slight like tarnish on an app you know but maybe not even that maybe i would just accept it as the as the you know cost of doing business uh but we all overlook little things here and there in apps that bug us right and they don't have to be things that are like intentionally trying to to coerce us into doing something could just be like oh i i really hate the fact that this button you know always behaves this way when i click it and and then I think what you're on to here with the identification in particular of this open source framework is collectively, when you magnify that out over so many apps doing the same thing and the sense that they're all kind of collectively, um, they're giving it the, 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 the okay by all doing it, right? It would be yeah. like, what if you had this one really frustrating, annoying behavior of an app and then they open sourced that and then suddenly all your apps were behaving that way. Right. Uh, let me take a break here and do the third sponsor break, and then there's a couple more. I have a couple more points I think I want to make about these things, um, mainly about Apple, though, and Apple's role in this. But I want to tell you about longtime friend of the show, great, great company and service, MailRoute, M-A-I-L-R-O-U-T-E. Uh, MailRoute is a filtering service for email. Filters out spam, filters out viruses, it's not a, you don't have to change your servers. You just point your MX records at MailRoute. MailRoute cleans all of your incoming mail uh, and then forwards it on to your regular, your existing mail servers. 90% of all email traffic on the internet is spam and viruses. It's, it's a cesspool. And it is also, therefore, probably about 90% of the work that your mail servers have to do. Uh, a lot of big companies, if you go to the MailRoute website and re- you know, read their information, you can find uh, case examples of companies that went from running five, six, seven mail servers to just one after they switched to MailRoute because MailRoute takes care of all the work that the email servers were actually doing, which is filtering out the spam and the viruses and the junk. The actual good mail, what you call it, the ham, is, is, it's not that hard for even one server to keep up with with a big organization if you use a service like MailRoute. They have a really low false positive rate, super important. They have super reliable uptime. Uh, and it's a hosted service in the cloud. You just sign up for it. You don't have to install hardware. You don't have to install software. You just point your MX records at them. Really, really easy, really sane, really cool defaults. But it's meant for nerds, so they have an API that you can program it to your heart's desire. So you can totally nerd out. You can customize everything. All of it's customizable. Uh, And you can get a free trial. This is amazing. You get a free trial with no credit card. So you want to try it on and see if it's as easy to use and as powerful as as I'm telling you and as as they'll tell you at the website. You could try it for free. Um, 
Where do you go to find out more? Go to their website, mailroute.net slash the talk show. And that, that slash the talk show at the end will let them know you're coming from this show. Mailroute.net slash the talk show. And the reason I know this is the reason that they've been back sponsoring this show uh, is that an awful lot of listeners of this show have signed up for it and have been really, really happy with it. Um, because I know there's, you know, it's just the audience of the show. There's a lot of people out there, you know, who are the sysadmins for their company or organization. If you've been thinking about it, trust me, check it out. It really works. So the last thing I wanted to say about this is Apple's role. And not just in approving the apps that are doing this, but in the way that the App Store is currently configured. And one of the things, a lot of people jumped on this on the, in the Twitter conversation. An awful lot of people are saying what I, I think I agree with too, which is that there's a big difference between asking the user once and asking them over and over again. And it's that once every version that was annoying. But immediately then there were people defending it because the way the App Store is set up, it's only the current version yep. of the app whose reviews are counted to make the average rating. So, like, if you had really good reviews a year ago, but now you've had two versions since and not so, you know, maybe not even bad reviews, just you don't have that many reviews, they don't show up in the default listing. And that people base their, like, should I download it or not decisions on how well rated it is. Uh, be that as it may, that is not the user's problem. That's right. Right? It just isn't, you know? And it's like, uh, I don't know. I, should that be fixed? I think there's got to be a better way to do it. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are, you know, as time goes on, who are kind of, and the app store gets older, you know, that it's discovery is definitely, it's always been a problem in the app store, right? Where the best apps don't necessarily filter to the top. You know, Twitter clients is a perfect example where like if you search the app store for Twitter, you don't get a listing of the best Twitter clients. You do get twitter.com's official Twitter client early on, but like apps like Twitterific and Tweetbot, depending on, you know, the day and what's going on with Apple's indexes, don't show up. You get a whole bunch of junk underneath the official Twitter client. Whereas I think in a in a world where the App Store works according to Apple's ideals, where the bet, you know, Apple's, you know, stuff has always been about the best, you know, what's the best quality? Apps like Tweetbot and Twitterific should be at the yeah. at, near the top of the results. <clears throat> and what's worse is that they um, have apparently been you know, punished for this practice of starting, you know, releasing a new release with a new SKU, an SKU code on the App Store, right? which is itself a workaround to, you know, the lack of a paid upgrade system, like where right. where people, developers would like to ideally hold on to their, their sort of like notoriety and their reputation in the store for a particular app. Right. But to get paid again, they either have to like jump through some weird hoops to turn their uh, their upgrade into an a la carte in app purchase, or they have to make an all new SKU, and then they start uh, at the bottom, uh, yeah. liter- literally. Like I, I mean, suddenly somebody mentioned. I think it was maybe David Barnard because he's always uh, he's always real, you know. I think productively critical about the search issue, uh, and he said. Uh, you know, Tweetbot went from like number one or number two in those results to off the off the page fold. Right. So yeah, eh, Apple's role it's so it's one of those things where you know it's always been easy for us who are big Apple fans and we appreciate so much that Apple does. It's always easy for us to say like, 
oh, this one fix would fix everything, or this is what they should do, or this is, why is this all so screwed up? And of course, we have to take a step back and realize that when you when you consider that for any one of these little things we can pinpoint, there are actually dozens or hundreds of things that could probably be improved. Right. Um, it's easier than to at least be empathetic to how it's not perfect. Right. Um it it is effectively the like the similarity that keeps I don't think I've even we've mentioned it during the show yet, but this whole practice of asking for the reviews, it reeks of SEO, right? Yep. Search engine optimization, which is largely uh in my opinion and always has been ways to take advantage of search engines. You know, it's it's you know, whatever techniques have worked, it's not about truly deserving top spots it's how to get the top spot whether you deserve it or not yeah right and that's you know it's it's become a dirty word and people you know other than marketing scumbags people hear seo and they think oh man it's bad bad practices and annoying cheats well that's you know i hate to say it that's what this rating thing is it's like you know even if it works it's it's that shouldn't be how it works you're taking advantage of a Apple's relatively poor ranking system. Yeah. Well, you know, something else that just came to mind is um, another one of the Twitter like things that got kind of got to me a little bit because, of course, it's close to home and it's a personal allegation, but there was a not-so-subtle suggestion that for me to criticize developers who are doing this, it's... Uh, a, a, a situation where my privilege is, is is should be called into question, where meaning that it's easy for me to you know take the high road or, or you know to, to 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 proclaim that developers should or shouldn't do these things, um, because implying that you know even with my modest you know say Twitter and blog audience and podcast audience that I have this huge upper hand in marketing my apps such that. I wouldn't need to use these kinds of marketing techniques. Right. And I thought that was particularly interesting because this was based in a post that you had written um, because I, cause, because people could as easily, if not more forcefully, make that allegation about you with, with Vesper. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely got that. I mean, to the, you know, a couple people with the effect of, developers defending their use of it in their apps. Well, I wouldn't have to do it in my app either if I could get a link on Daring Fireball for my app right. as often as Vesper does. And I, you know, I don't know what to say to that. Here's what I have to say to it is these people are overlooking how difficult it is to market and to 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 market apps and to make apps profitable and successful even if you do have the luck of of an audience of starting with some kind of yeah, audience or yeah, notoriety it's, the, right. the, it's this it's this um you know not to i don't want to insult these people per se but they have a um a, a misunderstanding of the the whole system and it, it's you know it's better to 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 have an audience than not it's better to be the Omni Group and already have tens of thousands of happy users when you're launching a brand new version 1.0 app that nobody's had before. You know, it's better to be panic than not, you know, than to be an unheard of software developer. But that <laughs> it definitely does not make it easy it for 
Panic or the Omni Group or anybody else to launch a 1.0 and and get it to stick more than just on the first day. Like yeah. You do get a nice spike. It, it is easy to get a nice spike on the first day if you're known. It is it does not have that much bearing on what happens you yeah. know, a week or a month or two months or six months later. Eventually, it doesn't take very long for water to reach its own level. That's the right. app becomes as popular as it should be, whoever you started out as. And then we get back to Gus Mueller's, maybe your app just sucks. And you know, those of us with some kind of built-in audience, if we're struggling to sell the app at some point, we can choose to take stock in whether the app needs to be improved. A lot of times an app just needs to exist for a number of years before it has like the the refinement and the feature base and the and, yeah. and the mind share to be successful. Gus is probably a good example of that because I'll bet that that's sort of what happened. I don't know exactly how the sales chart for Acorn has been, but I you know, I think when Acorn first shipped, it was very interesting because there had been so many years where everybody was like, how come there's no indie image editors? And then all of a sudden there were a couple. Yeah. Acorn was one and had some interesting you know, design and interface and, and features. But it's such a, you know, you, you know, you're competing against Photoshop, you know, and you've got a lot of, you know, I think it just took a while for Acorn to have a minimum feature set that was just like, you know what, this is totally feasible. Yeah. And and, and one, other, one other quick thought that comes to mind is all of these people who are sort of like um, comforting themselves, I think, with maybe for the behavior of their app or for the apps that they love, comforting the fact that these tactics are being used because it's somehow necessary or because it's you know it's the leg up that they need to offset that lack of an existing audience or the lack of existing success it's uh it just strikes me as totally opposite from the mindset you need to have if you actually want to be successful because by adopting these like follow the herd tactics it's the exact mindset that prevents you from having those like noticeably different you know you know like you look at some companies where you're like panic for example they keep coming up obviously we love them but um you know they distinguish themselves often by doing things that no other company does and it's not by assuming that because everybody else has a nag nagware like dialogue in their app that that's the way to do it and like i think if if these people think that if they're so convinced that the way to succeed in the software business is to adopt whatever, like, you know, I'm being a little dramatic here, but whatever bottom feeding tactics everybody else is using, then that's just like a symptom that they're setting themselves up for that kind of, that kind of mentality in general. Like, well, it's good enough for everybody else on the app store and you don't get successful and popular and beloved by trying to be only as good as everything else on the app store. Hmm. Right. Is that that I got I had to get up on my high horse eventually, right? Well, that's why I had you always <laughs> I always have you on the show to get up on your high horse, Daniel. <laughs> I got Everybody, my stirrups on and my 10-gallon hat. It's nuanced. I think bottom line takeaway. I think if there's anything everybody could take away from this, if there's a way that we could that 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 raising this into an issue that we're being discussed, if there's something that that some change that comes of this. My hope would be that it would be to make this these dialogues a when you hit no thanks, you never see it again yeah. for any version. 
regardless of all of the arguments that that's you know that that the app store wants that because let's face it people are not what do you do you really as a developer if you're out there and you're on the fence and you're thinking you know your app does this and you're listening to the show i hope that we've convinced you at least that it doesn't even make any sense to ask people to do it over and over again do you really think that they're going to leave multiple reviews i I think they are john i think that that's i think that let's say you got ten thousand users i think they're counting on the fact that by annoying 10,000 people, five to 10 of those people will push the button and go review. You know, I don't know what the numbers are, but if you think about it that way, you don't need to hit that many people. I mean, you don't need to hit that big of a percentage for it to right. make an, an impact. And I think, unfortunately, that's just another, that's another, uh, that's another case for punishing the bulk of your users when you know only a small right. tiny fraction of them is needed to give you the result you want yeah. i also think that apple should seriously consider banning it and yep. and i think the fact that there that that like as as we talked about a few minutes ago that develop, some developers are doing the even more questionable practice of trying to figure out first whether you're going to leave a four or five star review and only then forwarding you on yep because uh, if you're going to allow it in general, I'm not sure how you would how you would ban just that. Even though that is to me clearly gaming the reviews. It's almost yeah. as bad. It's only mm-hmm. a, you know, it's only a hair short of using those scammy paid services that that leave made up reviews. Right, and it sort of feels like um, the kind of thing where Apple could include it in the whole genre of prohibitions against like acting like the App Store or acting like right. like the Springboard or whatever. You know, getting into Apple's business. Right, the, the reviews should be, you know, in theory, should be organic, and you know, yeah. and only maybe prompted by things that are outside the app, like I said, like in a tech support email or, you know your Twitter or something like that. Well, you know, one positive thing I think that came out of this is there has been a little bit of a kind of a, a grassroots call for voluntary rating of apps that you love. And um, I think I think that's great. That will offset to some extent that tiny percentage, I think, of your readers yeah. who have gone out and taken your advice literally. Um, but it also reminds me that, you know, there, there are a few – in, in my mind, there are maybe at high level three different approaches to solving this problem. The approach that many developers are taking now to coerce users into rating, uh, the approach that we wish would happen, which is Apple would systematically repair the uh, the review system in some important ways. Yeah. And then um, there's another option, which is somebody putting together some system whereby people can kind of take pride or ownership of their ratings of apps, um, some kind of system that gamifies ratings in a way that users would want to go, um, you know, show off what they like and and share their reviews. Like, it, the, the, the example that comes to mind is I think some people out there, uh, developers in particular, you are more likely now to report radar bugs to Apple because of this open radar site mm. where you can say, look, folks, I did my part. And whether Apple ignores my suggestion or heeds it, I reported the bug. Um, and I can imagine some system existing outside of the control of developers or Apple uh, that would encourage users to sort of show their their 
and maybe this would be gaming in an inappropriate way. I don't know, but if it were, if it were framed towards showing your love for the apps that you love, uh, I think that could be something. I think that could affect uh, you know the the same kind of results that uh, the people the developers are looking for without being so disrespectful of the users. Right, interrupting them. Yep, that's it exactly. And if you, I mean, the funny thing is, a lot of these users would be happy to give five or 10 minutes of their time voluntarily in service of the developer, but are outraged to have to give 10 seconds involuntarily. Right. right. Because it's not just the 10 seconds, it's the interruption. And it's like the cartoons, you know, there's a bunch of them that have made the rounds, but like, you know, why it's bad to interrupt a programmer. And it's, you know, it's because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, you may only be taking two seconds of their time, but you're effectively like popping a bubble. Yep. That has taken a while to build up to get their, you know, head around a problem. You know, and like you said, you know, right at the beginning, that the whole reason that they're in the app in the first place is to do whatever it is that the app does. You know, let you yeah. take a picture or let you uh, read your tweets or let you play a game. Which and is which is why it's especially terrible this behavior on mobile devices because the whole thing about the time you spend in a mobile app is so much shorter than on like a desktop app, right? So right. interrupting is that much more egregious. Right. Exactly. Well, where can people find out more from you, Daniel? Where do you want to send people? Oh, well, I'm uh, Daniel Punkass on Twitter, and I have a blog at bitsplitting.org. And my software is wonderful, and you should rate it. Please take a moment now yeah. to stop, pause this podcast, go directly to iTunes or to the App Store and rate my software. Mars Edit. Mars Edit is uh, on the Mac App Store and on my site at red-sweater.com. All right. And don't forget to rate the talk show in the podcast <laughs> wait, listings. Wait, wait. We forgot to ask them to pause the podcast now. No, pause it right now before we finish. Yeah. There's only a few seconds of it, but pause it. Go to the App Store and give it a rating. Wait, 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 wait. First of all, think to yourself, am I going to rate this show four stars or five stars? And if it's less than four, don't pause the podcast. Do, right. do not proceed directly to the iTunes store. 